Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and the podcast when you follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Walk in Truth Show. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Thessalonians 3 called, Now We Really Live If You Stand Firm in the Lord. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord is something we all need to be thinking about right now, maybe more than ever. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. We're going to read the text together, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Once you've got it, if you are able to stand with us, please do so. We're going to read the text, and then we'll come back and break it down. 1 Thessalonians 3, now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, 1 Thessalonians 3.1, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be, st- be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come, verse 6, to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live, here's our title, if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith, 11. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you, so that he, God, may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much that we have the living word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing deep, but also a light to our path. So excited to be Witnessing baptisms, baby dedications, commitments to you publicly. It's so beautiful to see people wanting to stand firm in the Lord. And we don't do this by our own might, Father. We know we, we, we stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. It's not our power, it's your might. And what we're asking right now is that there be a fresh endowment of your power to stand firm in the days in which we live These are difficult, trying days, but they're also exciting days to stand. 
And having done everything to stand, Paul says, put on that armor. And so would you clothe us with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Would you encourage us with your living word? And may we love each other and be ambassadors of this living gospel to a world that so desperately needs to hear of the hope that is found in Jesus. We pray in his name. If you agree, would you say amen? Well, in 2001, I had a chance to travel to India and Nepal. It was a long plane flight, to say the least. It was uh, an interesting place to go and do missions work. And I went on about a two-week mission trip, a short-term missions trip, with a friend of mine. And we were in different places. And one of the places we ended up is in a hotel where a pastor's conference was being held. And I was one of several speakers, several pastors, trying to help Indian and Nepali pastors just navigate the times in which they lived. And it was a very tumultuous uh, situation there, illegal in many places to preach the gospel on the street. Many of the pastors needed theological training, but they also needed the practicals. They're just like us. They needed to know how to navigate family life and the church and everything that was going on. And I had spoken in one of the sessions, and I was waiting uh, in the lobby of the hotel, and the Lord just kind of impressed this young man on my heart. He must have been no more than 19, 20 years old. And uh, I just felt like I needed to share the gospel with him, but I could not communicate with him, and I had no translator. And so I remember us just smiling at one another, and I was trying to, you know how you try to talk louder when you think someone can't understand you? Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> that wasn't helping. But anyway, finally, I was able to get a translator over, and I shared the gospel with this young man, and he got down his, on his knees in this hotel lobby and gave his life to Jesus Christ. It was so amazing. And that's one of several stories I could share with you. Another was we were literally sharing the gospel hut to hut in the rice fields in Nepal, and uh, literally doing hut-to-hut evangelism. And this young brother and sister opened their hearts to Jesus. And I got a chance to pray with them. We'd snapped a photograph of them. And, you know, in the moment, you don't really realize that you may not ever see these people again this side of heaven. And I have not gone back to India and Nepal. It's been almost 20 years. I'm not sure I will ever be back. But it's an interesting thought to think about. People that you shared the gospel with what if I had a chance to go back now, 20 years later, what would I find? And part of my natural concern would be, I sure hope that these young people who opened their hearts to the gospel didn't walk away from the Christian faith, didn't get you know, sucked back into maybe a, a false religion or a, another way. At the same time, on a positive note, imagine I had a chance to go back and uh, I saw them flourishing in the Lord. Let's say that they were leading churches and doing ministry. That's an exciting thought, isn't it? And the Bible teaches that one day on the other side, before the Lord, on the day when he returns and ushers in his kingdom, we're going to rejoice with people that we impacted in the Lord. And it may be that we actually prayed with them to receive Jesus, and it may just be that we planted a seed, but they are going to be our joy and crown. We've been talking about the overall series in First and Second Thessalonians. Just take a peek again at the theme verses. It's just at the end of chapter 2 when Paul says, Who is our hope or joy, 2.19, or crown of exaltation or rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? You, the people that he won here in Thessalonica, you are our glory and joy. 
Remember that heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. And when we do baptisms here, I like to think that heaven is celebrating with us. And maybe heaven is even echoing some of the anthems that we sing in the church. In fact, there are Bible verses, and I won't take you there, that say that in some ways the angels look on and even participate in our worship. I don't fully understand how all of that works, but I will say it's a beautiful thought to think that heaven is engaged in what we're doing. And that's why we don't take the ministry of the church lightly. We don't take what we're doing here lightly. We have all kinds of weird things going on in the culture, but we're here because we've been mandated by our Lord to make disciples of all the nations. I would encourage you, if you're struggling a little bit with churches meeting and being open, that you would read a theological treatment of this subject by John MacArthur. It's on the Grace to You website, gty.org. Write it down if you're taking notes. gty.org. If you haven't read it already, it's a theological reason for remaining open. And it's not even based upon the First Amendment, although we can argue that. It's based upon the authority of Christ being over his church. And here's the essential argument. The essential argument is when a government tries to take ecclesiastical authority over the church. When we talk about ecclesiastical authority, we're talking about the Greek word for church, ecclesia. Ecclesiastical has the idea of the governance of the church. The ones that govern the church under the authority of Christ are pastors and elders. When a government begins to intrude on that ecclesiastical authority, telling us when we can meet, how many people can we meet, how we can meet, whether we can sing, etc., etc. Everybody know where I'm going? This is when we have now crossed the theological line. And I think that this is a good treatment for your consideration. Now, you may not agree with everything that's there, and that's okay, but you should read it because you should read the Bible passages that are being kind of walked out there. Now, here we are. We live in a time that's, uh, you know, maybe more challenging for us than we could remember, but this is nothing unique to church history or to the Bible or to the, even the Thessalonian church. In fact, if you just paid attention a little bit to a few of those verses, Paul said when he was in Thessalonica just for a short time, he kept telling the Thessalonian Christians that this is what they could expect. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to what? They'll hate you. If they persecuted the master, they'll persecute their, his followers as well. Now, this is nothing that we revel in. And this is nothing that we necessarily, you know, we, we dance around or rejoice in, you know, when we hear persecution verses. But this has been the reality of the Christian church. And you may have heard that even in Portland right now, they are burning Bibles along with American flags. And so we see kind of just a lot of strange things going on in our culture. What are we to do? How should the church respond in days like this? Well, we need to be anchored in the Word of God, and we need to stand firm in the Lord. Amen? And I hope that you're going to stand firm. When I, was, when I was growing up, there was an old commercial about a toy named a Weeble. How, how many of you remember the Weeble? And the little chorus was... Weevils wobble, but they don't fall down. You remember that? Some of you are going, no, Pastor Michael, would you please move on? Well, the toy was kind of like this. You could do anything to it. You could push it, slug it, do whatever, but it always popped back up because of the way it was built. We need to be a little bit like weevils. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team invite you to Harvest Fest 2020. Harvest Fest is free and will be outside Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. This is an entertaining, fun, and safe way for your family to spend October 31st. You and the kids will enjoy fun activities like trunks of treats, find your way through a life-size maze, play games like the cakewalk, and of course, have a chance to fellowship with worship music. Again, bring your family and friends and come out and meet Pastor Michael at Harvest Fest, October 31st from 6 to 8.30 p.m. outside Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Call 844-48-TRUTH for information and directions. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Well, the toy was kind of like this. You could do anything to it. You could push it, slug it, do whatever. But it always popped back up because of the way it was built. We need to be a little bit like weevils. <laughs> Maybe you should look at your brother or sister right now and say, be a weevil. No, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Anyway. But the point is, is that Paul had these people on his heart, just like I could think of people in India and Nepal. And I could think of many other scenes where I had a one-time shot at sharing the gospel with somebody. Maybe I was traveling out of state. And I'm not sure I'm ever going to see that person again. But isn't it a cool thought to think that standing before the Lord, that person would say, I don't know if you remember, but you were traveling on business and you shared, you know, the gospel with me and I'm here and I'm part of your crown. That's pretty amazing. And I hope and pray that's what you're living for. That's what Paul was living for. That's what put his life into perspective. And Paul says, therefore, when we, some think that we as editorials, some think that it includes Silas, when we could endure no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Now, if, if the we as editorial, just Paul, you might remember that in Acts 17, Paul was alone and he went to the place called the Areopagus and that's when he took on the philosophers of his day. And he preached that brilliant sermon about how God is seen in creation and how Christ was uh, crucified and resurrected in the very history in which they found themselves. And he preached this marvelous sermon, but he preached it apparently alone. He was willing to send Timothy, as we'll see in a moment, and Paul stood alone against the philosophers of his day. He felt, here's the language, the original language has the idea of he felt a bit abandoned. He felt a little bit alone and isolated. And a lot of people are feeling that way right now. You may be feeling that way. You're watching this right now, wherever you may be, and you might feel a little bit alone. And, and that's understandable. We're, we're in a weird time. People feel distant from one another. Many people are staying away from gatherings because of underlying concerns with health. And, and that's perfectly understandable. And that's what you should be doing. But it causes other issues, right? And we, we're hearing about now uh, suicide rates on the rise and abuse on the rise. And, and when Paul was in Athens, it's like he, he said, hey, I, I needed to be left alone so that I could make sure that the Thessalonians were okay. Temporary sacrifice, so that he could make sure that they were spiritually well. And so the word alone is emphatic here in the original language. Paul said goodbye to Timothy because he was so concerned about the Thessalonian believers. 
Jesus said these words. This is John 16, 31 through 33. Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and already has come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone, says Jesus. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, John 16, 33, that in me, Jesus says, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus even warned his disciples the night before he dies on the cross, you're all going to be scattered and you're going to leave me alone, but I'm not alone because my Father is with me. And the Bible says that God will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. And even if you feel alone right now, you're not alone because the Holy Spirit lives within you if you're a Christian, amen? And God isn't going anywhere. He's going to usher you all the way home into his heavenly kingdom. Paul's attitude is incredible. I wish my attitude would be more like this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you, the more am I to be loved, the less. And Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is what the Christian faith is about. This is what the Lord modeled. And as Paul did what he did, he was reflecting his good shepherd. See, Paul hated the church at one point. He tried to destroy the church. But once he had come to know the good shepherd, he wanted to shepherd God's people like Jesus would. And Jesus was now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. So now Paul was taking the baton and he was then gonna pass that baton to Timothy. And now we hold it. And I want you to think about that for a second. Now we hold the baton. Don't drop it, brethren. Don't drop it. Don't, don't drop the baton because of pressure. Don't draw back when we should be stepping forward. We need wisdom, of course. We need a baptism of boldness. We need to get the gospel out. But this is no time to drop the baton. And we sent Timothy, our brother, verse 2, brother is Adelphos in Greek, and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen, Paul sent Timothy. He couldn't go there. He was thwarted by Satan, we saw in the last chapter. And he sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. I am amazed what one person's faith can do to strengthen a body of believers. Amen? I've watched some people just in the last four or five months take a stand and they have strengthened many Christians. I would say Christians all over the world. Don't you think that you don't have an impact on people? When you stand, others feel emboldened to stand. They, they realize that you're flesh and blood just like them. That you're a human. That you have all the fears and all the concerns and all the what ifs in your, in your thinking as well. But when they watch you stand, they say, hey, if he can stand, if she can stand, then I can stand. And that's what I've watched happen. And Timothy was a team player, verse 2. He was a minister. That's the Greek word diakonos. It's where we get the idea of a deacon. He was a servant, but he was a servant of Paul, a servant of Jesus, ultimately a servant of the gospel. It is the gospel of Christ because Christ is the gospel. It's about him. He is the embodiment of the gospel. And Paul wrote many sections about Timothy's uh, uh, faithfulness, and he could trust Timothy to represent him Write down 1 Corinthians 4.17 when Paul says, For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Philippians 2.22 and 23. 
you know Timothy's proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm so excited to hear about men who are going out from this congregation planting other churches. Do you know that there's a living truth right now in Topeka, Kansas? There's a living truth in Prescott, Prescott Arizona. Got to wear boots to go there, but nonetheless, Prescott, we say hi. And there's other people who have gone out from this congregation who are praying right now. Maybe I should uh, establish a living truth in another state. And this excites me because it tells me that people are going out from here in Corona, California, and that's not to mention missionaries and other people who are going out with the gospel of Christ, who have found that there's uh, some training that they've received and they want to go out and minister the gospel. There's some people in this fellowship who I could, without hesitation, send on my behalf. And I know that they would preach the word of God accurately. And I know that they would represent the love of Christ beautifully. And that's part of what we're doing here is we're training the next generation to take the baton. And by the way, it's not always as formal as you might think. We're doing it right now. Every time you take in the Word of God, every time you go to a Bible study, every time iron sharpens iron, you're getting more of a sense of mission, I hope, and pray, to go to your workplace, to go to your neighborhood, to go to your family, to go to your sphere of influence, and to represent Christ. You've been listening to Now We Really Live, If You Stand Firm in the Lord, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, can you do us a solid and follow us on Instagram or Twitter? We'd love to connect with you guys. We'd also love to give you a shout out in future programs. So DM us on Instagram or Twitter and let us know where you're listening from. Follow us and DM us at Walk in Truth Show. That's at Walk in Truth Show. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, we've called this message, Now We Really Live, If You Stand Firm in the Lord. Hey, that shows Paul's priorities, doesn't it? What really made him tick, what gave breath into his lungs, what put wind into his sails, was if the church that he planted in Thessalonica stood firm. And hey, this is a time when standing firm has been a challenge for many. In fact, maybe you feel wobbly or maybe you found some firmness in the Lord and you've learned how to strap on the armor now because you're like, man, we're, we're not playing around here. You know, the United States and California and whatever state you may be listening in, you know, we're, we're hurting and, and it's testing our metal. And, you know, it's good because this is what we need to be stretched. We go through a refining process and we become more of a usable vessel. It's not always fun, but it's good. And that's what's going on in this particular message. I want to encourage you to stay strong. Uh, Whatever you may be facing right now, hopefully we're coming on the, we're at the end of this COVID stuff. That's what I would pray. I pray the Lord would just eradicate it completely. But you know, there's a lot of stuff still going on and we need all the hope we can get. And my brother, my sister, I pray the Lord will just, breathe firmness and stability into you. He's the God that stabilizes us in the storm, Hebrews 4. And I pray that he'll do that for you. Hey, if you uh, don't have any plans on the 31st Halloween night, we have a Halloween alternative alternative that we do every year. 
It's called Harvest Fest. And this year it's a trunk and treat. It's going to be a, a great time. Cars are going to be set up with themes, candy for the kids. We're going to have a maze. We're going to have worship. We're going to have food. It's going to be a awesome time. And we want you to come. It's six to eight thirty on October 31st at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. We're at 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona. You can dress up. Some people do dress up. Uh, we would encourage Bible characters, but hey, a lot of people get creative. They do Star Wars and whatever, and I'll leave that up to your conscience. I'm not going to get into that right now, but hey, just come and have some fun, man. We need to chill, relax, join with some other believers and have some fun in the Lord. And we will focus on the Lord that night and the gospel will go forth. So invite an unsafe friend. Come on out with your kids. It'll be a safe environment, somewhere where you can feel good about being on that evening. And you can find out information and directions when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Look for that red logo with the pillars or go to walkintruth.com. God bless you. We'll see you right here tomorrow. And one more thing before we go. Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your $5 donation helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and to help you apply it to today's issues, trends, and culture. So please give your donation at walkintruth.com. And thank you. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 called, Now We Really Live If You Stand Firm in the Lord. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.